Hey there, we're so glad you tuned in today. We would love to hear how God is using this podcast to encourage you. You can do so by visiting our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to freedom. There are certain things that God chooses to bless. How many would agree with that? And then there are other things that God chooses uh, or rather refuses to bless. Right? Well, the things that God chooses to bless, God chooses to bless obedience. And the things that God refuses to bless, one of those is for sure disobedience. And so those who have a heart to pursue the will of God can find peace and understanding that when we walk in obedience, God is fully capable and able to bless us. Yes? However, there are people that go through their lives consistently wanting the will of God, but not the way of God. There are people that want to embrace God's will, but they often are conflicted internally with whether or not they like the approach God is giving them. In other words, I want God's will, but I'm not sure I want to do that because that would then make me uncomfortable. So we have this dilemma, do we not? That sometimes we want God's will, but not so much that it would disrupt our lives. Not so much that it might affect my relationship. Not so much that it'll change my personality. I want God's will, but I don't want to lose who I am. Here's a fun fact for you. You ready? The only way to know who you are is to be in the middle of God's will. The only way to truly know who you are is to find yourself smack dab in the middle of God's will. So, there are times that we truly have a lot of voices that speak to us. How many know that's true that you, you ever met somebody that all they do is talk, but they never have something to say? There's something different between, there's a distinct difference, be, nobody pointing, there's a distinct difference between talking and having something to say. And so, what we find in our culture today is that there's a lot of voices There's a lot of people that have things to say, and there's a lot more that just want to talk. Those voices also say things like this, God can't, God won't, you can't, and you won't. There's also a voice out there that would cry out, there is no way that you can fill in the blank. There's always going to be a voice And somebody telling you, you can't. Today we're going to look at big faith. I want to look at big faith, but I also want to look at big enough. Big enough. I want to create a line between the two. Because I need us to understand that you can either want big faith or big enough faith. Big faith or just big enough. Big enough to be religious, but not big enough to ruin my life for the good. Big enough to be considered holy by other people, but not big enough 
to be considered a world changer. I don't really want to change my community. I just want to be comfortable in my faith. If you want to be comfortable without making change, that sounds a lot like big enough. And that's what I want to tackle here this morning. Because if you want to have uh, live a legacy, you have to leave one first. If you want to have a legacy, you have to live one first. And so the, the truth is that we're going to look at an amazing leader in the Bible. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Joshua. Joshua. You have to live a legacy in order to leave one. And Joshua did that. We're going to look at this leader in Judges, but I want to read one verse because we look at 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 27, and I want us to paint the picture for a moment. Joshua was the eldest son, as you turn to uh, Joshua 24, I'm going to just tell you a little bit about Joshua. Joshua was the eldest son of his family. He had been born during Israel's time of slavery in Egypt. And he, we, he would have been around 40 years old at the beginning of Exodus. So here he is at the 40-year at the mark. And that's when Moses was taking the people out of Egypt. And here comes Joshua, right? And it shows that his family was a family lineage that did certain things right. Why? Because he got out of Egypt. You didn't leave Egypt if you didn't cover the doorposts and the blood. Right? And so there were families that were affected that night when, when that angel of death came through and judgment came upon Egypt. Right? Well, Joshua's family made it out. It shows that he had some sort of religious or faith lineage in his life. I want to tell you, and I want to speak to the mothers for a moment, don't stop praying for your children. That lineage that you're praying through will come to fruition. I'm believing that with you. I love seeing, and we have several kids even in our body here, uh, that uh, some of you parents, and you know who you are, uh, have kids that like to preach, and it's awesome you know, looking at some of those things and you see posts and, and kids that are, they're preaching at like two and three and four years old. I have a video of my son. Uh, we were at a camp and I was doing a youth camp and uh, it was before the kids had arrived and we were there and, uh, and my son's on the pulpit with a Bible and he's like, amen. amen. He's like three years old. He's like, amen. Amen. I'm, and I'm like, amen. And he's like, daddy, you're supposed to clap. You're supposed to clap. I'm like, okay, okay. All right. So he's like, he's mimicking a preacher, right? He's doing this thing. And I have another video of my son going, I want to preach like you. Melts my heart. Now, I wouldn't force ministry upon my kids because you got to have one tough skin to be in ministry. You got to be in tough skin to be in ministry. What I, what I don't want to, that to be misconstrued with, I want my kids to love Jesus all their lives. But I will not force or throw on my children, you must be a pastor. You must do what I do. You must do what I did. I don't, I'm not going to live my dreams through my children. Right? I know that God has specifically customized a call for their lives. Do I want them? Do what I love to see them running a crusade? 
nothing will thrill my heart more. But I know that God has a plan for them. And that's very important. It's a plan that's not big enough. It's a big plan. Today you're going to hear that a lot. Big versus big enough. Is your faith big or is it big enough? Now watch this. Joshua, the fact that he was even alive proves that his parents did a few things right. Death angel passed and his family's still there. Through this struggle, through everything, we learn a lot about someone in the Bible like Joshua and how they're mentioned in Scripture. And here's how Joshua was first mentioned in Exodus 17, 9. And I'm going to, don't turn there necessarily, stay in Joshua, but I want to read this. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand up on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Joshua fought because Moses told him to fight. Look at me. When the man of God tells you to do something and you do it, and God blesses you, there's something that of a mantle that falls on your life. Don't wait for the big opportunity. Don't wait for that thing to happen that you've been hoping that that's, this is my moment for people to recognize who I am. Trust me, you don't want the world to recognize who you are. You want God to recognize who you are first. Because if the world recognizes you before God, pride will set in a lot quicker. Come on, somebody. Is that true? I know it's true. I've seen it. I've seen friends of mine that they were acknowledged before man before, they, before God acknowledged them, and they are no longer in ministry. They wanted that. They wanted these 21 inches of pulpit before they knew what it meant to stand behind one. They wanted to, 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 be, to feel the power of holding God's word and delivering it before it injected their lives first. So what am I saying? You can live a life that's big or a life that's big enough. Big enough will say, I pray, I'll pray just enough to be considered holy in someone's eyes. But are you praying enough to be considered big in God's eyes? Now listen, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. But I am saying don't settle with big enough. See, when we look at Joshua, we see that he fought because he knew it was what God wanted him to do. Are you fighting? Are you fighting for your faith? Fighting for your families? I know mothers in this room that have been praying. And you've been praying for loved ones. You've been praying for your husbands. Praying for your children. Praying for me. Thank you. I love when someone comes up to me and says, Pastor Tony, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Nothing at that moment thrills my heart more than hearing someone say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Man, when I have my kids pray for me. When, when my wife looks at me in the eyes and says, I love you and I believe in you and I'm praying for you. Those things just, why? Because I realize that big enough faith doesn't stretch you. But big faith does. And when we look at Joshua, we look at someone that doesn't have big enough faith. We look at Joshua as someone that has big faith, big belief, big trust. And it doesn't take a genius. It doesn't take a Bible school degree. It doesn't take that. Listen what it takes. Are you ready? Look at me. Here's what it takes. Obedience. 
It just takes obedience. Say yes when God says. Say no when God says. Because how many know that God could tell you say no about this and saying no could be the best decision you've ever made? Not to God, but to man. Saying yes to God and saying no to man is a constant in our lives. We have to constantly do that. I want you to write these things down if you can. Number one, Joshua was a great follower. To have big faith means you got to be a great follower. A great follower of God first and a great follower of a vision. That's why we hold partnerships so important here at Freedom. Most churches call it membership. We call it partnership. Why? Because there's one vision and we need everybody to come on board so it can happen. Do you think those kids are able to have ministry happen back there if it was just me and my wife here? That could not happen. They have wonderful, we have wonderful people that have come alongside us and said we believe in the vision of freedom. We don't want to have big enough faith. We want to have big faith. And so we're going to teach the kids. And right now, in those back rooms, they're teaching kids about the love of God, the character of God. And yes, they may be having some sweet treats. And yes, they may be sugared up and they might be wired this afternoon. And for that, take that up with Pastor Christian and the director Faith. There are plenty of people, they would love to hear an email from you. They would love to read that. Our text in Joshua 24. Joshua, according to his own words in 23, was a very old man. They're living in the promised land that God had given them. And days like this, like what, what we're looking at here in chapter 24 is days when you look back. Let me ask you a question. You ever did something for God, looked back and said, wow, I'm really glad I said yes there. How many ever did anything for someone and you said, I'm really glad I helped them? No doubt there's moments in your life where you look back and you said, I'm not sure I should have helped them. No doubt. But here's what I do know. I do know this. I do know that when you love God unconditionally, you do what he says, even if you think you shouldn't have. If you were obedient, let it be. Let it lay where it lays. God knows why. Yes? But one thing about Joshua is that he's a great follower. There are some people that are just not good Christians until they're leading. They're not good Christians unless they're given a title. And even then, it doesn't make them good. It just makes them appear good. How many know what I'm talking about? Titles don't make you better. They expose you. They just allow the cream to rise to the top. Titles should follow character, not the other way around. Because it often doesn't. Character doesn't follow the title. It should be character first. Then you're given an opportunity. Live faithfully. Live faithfully and let God figure out the rest. In this farewell address, we read this. And I want to read a few verses. Can I read a few verses to you? 
Joshua 24, beginning of verse 2. Now, this is going to get a little lengthy. Follow with me. It will not be on your screen. It will be in your Bible if you have the book of Joshua. Chapter 24, beginning of verse 2. Joshua said to all the peoples, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave them Isaac. And Isaac gave them Jacob and Esau. And I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau. But to Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. But Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Verse 5. And then I sent Moses and Aaron and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. And when I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. This is God speaking. When you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave you, or rather I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, and king of Moab prepared to fight against Israel, he sent Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Are you seeing this? This is God repeating all the things he was faithful with. Watch this. And you crossed the Jordan and you came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you and did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gershites, the Hivites, the Jebuites. And I gave them into your hands and the Gazantites. No, that's not in there. Verse 12. And I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, and also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it on your own sword and bow. Did you hear that? Did you hear the last phrase there? That last phrase, I think we have a, a screenshot of that last phrase. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But here's what he said. You did not do it by your own sword and bow. God made it very clear, very clear that they did not do it themselves. That is because they followed God's direction that God took care of it. In the history of mankind, we can see over and over how God has taken care of his people. And for a moment, we catch a glimpse here in Joshua how God said, look at me work in your life over and over again. Did I not come through in those moments? And if I came through in those moments, can I not come through for you now? Look at me. Some of you in this room, you're going through something. You're struggling. Listen, you can and will get through this. Because God said, I am faithful. 
And he's shown this. It's not by your own. You know what that means? It's not your own ability. It's not your ability that got you out of where you are. It's your availability that got you where you are. Did you get that? It's not your ability that got you here. It's your availability that got you here. Look at me. I need you to see something. It's not your abilities that got God's attention. It's your availability that got God's attention. Moses led him out of Egypt, but who was the God of Moses? Moses got him through the Red Sea, but who is the God of Moses? Manna came from heaven, but who is the God of Moses? It's not big enough, it's big. When he delivers you from the hand of the enemy, it's not big enough, it's big. God goes big every time. And so the book of Numbers shows us all these other different things that God, was, uh, God took care of. Moses led the Israelites into Canaan. But who followed Moses? Joshua. Joshua filled the shoes of a man that is revered for generations and generations. Moses had done so many things for God. And how would you like to be Joshua after that? Not easy shoes to fill, is it? But something happened. Turn with me very quickly to Numbers. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fourth book, Old Testament, chapter 13. Watch this with me. Who has their Bibles? Turn there. It's a good time to turn to Numbers 13, beginning verse 26. I'm putting the reference up there because I like to see Bibles open. Numbers 13, verses 26 to 33. Here's what happens. For those of you that don't know, verse 26. They came back to Moses. They were bringing back a report. And he sent out 12 spies. How many remember this story? 10 and 2. No, those are not where you should put your hands on the steering wheel. Those are the reports according to the, the people that, that were sent out to bring back. What is the report? 10 said this. The land is plentiful, but the giants are huge. And two of them were like, we could take them. How many know one of the two, right? Do you ever know somebody that's like that? Like no matter how big the obstacle is, they're like, but we could take them. Listen, I'm a native New Yorker, a short Puerto Rican from the Bronx. I understand what it's like to look up at someone and think to yourself, I think I can take them. You, first of all, I'm faster than you. <laughs> Second of all, you have to catch me to beat me. And if I can hit you hard enough, I can get away. You will never catch me. That was my motto as a child. I'm telling you this right now. As a kid, you may be able to beat me, but you got to catch me. 
so two came back with a different report. Like, you, you don't understand how wonderful this land is. And then there are always a, there's always more negative voices than there are positive, right? Sometimes the loudest voices, sometimes the loudest voices are not the positive ones. Hello? They're just louder. It doesn't mean they're more correct. It doesn't even mean they're right. It just means they're louder. And we look at verse 30. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Two had big faith. Two stood out. The land we explored has a lot of big people in it, but we can take it. Is your faith big or is your faith big enough? You see, this is a constant in our lives, whether you're a mother here this morning, because mothers understand big faith, because you see things in your children that nobody else sees. Mothers, is this true? Am I lying? You see things in your children that other people are like, wait, you see what? Hold on. We're talking about the same person, right? And that's usually a sibling that says that. <laughs> right? How many realize that the siblings are completely blind to what the mother sees? I see a warm-hearted, wonderful, character-driven, a young man full of integrity. And they're like, Ma, seriously? That's what you see? He was biting his toenails just now, Ma. Come on, you're, you're 34 now. Grow up! Ma, this is what you see? Mothers have a way of seeing things nobody else sees. Thank you, moms, for believing in us. You see, when I said earlier this, I really meant it, that mothers are often that first view of what God thinks of us, how God loves us in spite of what others see. How many of you have ever saw, your mother said something about you that was positive and you still struggle to this day seeing that very thing? I mean, there's some people, some of you, or some of you are like, I'm not going to admit it. But there's times that you think to yourself, mom saw me in a way that I didn't really see it until one day. Let me tell you something. The enemy works with lies to limit your life. He wants to put a lid, and here's what I'm talking about. The lies of the enemy often become the lid to limit your life. Now I'm going to go a step further. Are you ready? I'm going to give you another statement that carries it even further. Excuses are alibis which give lies a reason to operate in your life. Come on, that's tweetable right there. Excuses that you make over yourself are alibis which give lies a reason to hang around in your life. Some of you allow lies in your life 
because you've been making excuses after excuse, and you don't allow God to expose lies. And therein becomes an alibi to allow this lie to exist in your life. Like, for instance, you could never be in ministry. You could never serve. You could never, you will never get married. You will never have this. You will never have children. You will never live uh, to, to see uh, retirement in, 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 a, in a way that would change your life. In other words, you will never be this or you will never be that and you will never amount to, man, I can go on with the nevers. Those lies will chatter in your ear over and over again. And unless you stand and rebuke it in the name of Jesus and say, I'm going to believe what God said about me rather than whatever voice this is telling me what I am. Come on, somebody. Big versus big enough. Big enough says, maybe you're right, voice. Maybe I'll never amount to that. So I should just do just enough to get God's attention, maybe. Or maybe just enough to be noticed by man. What I noticed a long time ago in my own life was this. Tension and trial allow the glory to fall. Tension and trial allow the glory to fall. Watch this. Your trial and your tribulation cause you to run to the throne of God, come to the throne of his grace, and pray prayers you would have never otherwise prayed unless you had that trial in your life. Can I get a few amens on that one just to let me know I'm on the right track? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you would have never prayed for that thing if you didn't go through something on that same vein. Does that mean God orchestrated it? No. But there are some things that God says, watch me turn this. I like to watch baseball. And I, I, I love to watch good plays, even if it's teams that I don't follow. I like to watch top 10. And, and to watch someone jump and sprawl out and catch a ball and get up on their knees and make a throw and get them out, like split millisecond and get that out. For me as a fan, I love to watch great plays like that. How many like to watch something uh, happen that's amazing in, in any sport, right? Whether it's wrestling, football, baseball. For me, it's baseball. I love to watch because I played shortstop for so many years, right? And I love to see the diving play and then guy get up on his knees, not even get up on his feet. Just right from his knees, make that throw, get the guy at first. And I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. And what I'm saying is this, that sometimes, sometimes that, that, that tension, that, that stretch is worth it. And some of you, God is stretching and he's telling you, just make that last effort because there's a chance that you can come out on top. Then there are other people that go, oh, I could have made that play, but nah, I'm good. Maybe next time. They mail it in. Sometimes it's about all in. About being all in. Joshua and Caleb had Moses' back. And one thing I realize is true. If you want to lead the orchestra, you have to turn your back on the crowd. Joshua was an amazing follower. He was an amazing follower. And for us to be good leaders and good people, we have to sometimes turn our back on the crowd and do what God said to do.
Are you with me? My vision for Freedom Life is this. Everyone, let me get your attention for a moment. So I need you to understand my heart. For those who are lost, wandering, and wondering what their life means. I know that God has provided a Savior because that Savior saved my life. But I can never get there if it wasn't for the cross. The cross is the bridge that brings us to a place of redemption through Jesus Christ. How many realize that if it wasn't for the cross, we would not be here today? If it wasn't for the cross. Listen, everything that we do here at Freedom is cross-driven. It's about if we can get someone to know who Jesus is. For whoever so wants to come, God is here. You didn't do it on your own sword and bow. It was the cross. Are you with me? It was the cross. So we got to be a good follower. That's number one. Number two, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Right? Every good gift is from God. Joshua 24, 13 records God speaking. He says, I gave you a land in which you did not toil and you did not build and you did not live in them or eat the vineyards or the olive groves and that you did not plant. You know what God is saying? I gave this to you. You didn't earn this one. Right? Is that what that says? I gave you this land. You didn't earn it. You didn't build it. And there is a place in your life that you did not get there on your own. And unless you acknowledge that today, you will walk out of the service the same way you came. Selfish and broken. But if you can come to him and say, God, I am selfless today and I am broken, but I can be made whole by you. That is all the cross. That is the cross. No other way. If you think you can earn your way, you, you are seriously and, and horribly mistaken. The book of James records this. Every good and perfect gift is from above. I knew I read it somewhere. That's why I believe Reese's peanut butter cups came from heaven. Don't laugh because you know it's true. Kit Kats are close second. But the perfect blend, good and perfect. That's the Reese's peanut butter cup. In all seriousness, every good and perfect gift comes from above. What is it that's good and perfect in your life? And if there's anything that's good, if there's anything that's perfect, acknowledge God is the one who gave it to you. Even if you think you earned it, stop for a moment and think really hard about whether you really did or didn't. John 6.44 says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Did you realize that? You didn't come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit drew you. Because if it was up to you, you'd still be in the world lost in your sin. The Holy Spirit drew me. Drew me to him. And here's my third thought. Are you ready? As we look at big faith, not big enough, but big faith, we got to be good followers. We got to realize that every good and perfect gift is from God. And the third thing is this. We can't serve God and the world. We just can't. 
Friend, you cannot serve God and the world and think for a moment that freedom's okay with that. We're not okay with that. Because if you come to me and you tell me, is this sin, I'm going to tell you what's sin. I'm going to tell you what struggle. Not because I'm judging you, but because I realize that if we don't define it, it will define you. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? If you don't define sin in your life, that sin will define you. In my life, there have been things I had to overcome. One of those things in my life was a life and a childhood without a male role model, father figure in my life. So many a times I found myself looking for answers and I looked to the world for answers. And God, eventually when he came into my life at the age of 15 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. Look at me. I gave my life to Jesus, recognizing that the world had offered a bunch of things that left me void and empty. And at the age of 15, gave my life to Jesus. And since then, while there are times that the world has flirted with me and I have flirted with the world, I realized I'm not that person anymore. And so little by little, God chipped away at my life, my old life, off of me. You see, God can turn you over and save your life. How many believe that, right? But how many realize that it doesn't always look like that the next day? Right? Salvation is an instant moment where you say, God, save me. And he will. Case in point, thief on the cross. Jesus is there dying alongside the thief. And the thief says what? Remember me. And Jesus says what? In a few weeks, you will be with me. No. When you go through the baptism, no. When you go through the, no. This day. When you start giving to the church, no. When you start serving, no, 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 no. This day. Because you acknowledged me, saved them on that moment, that moment. Sanctification is a process. Though sanctification in definition is this: the working out of the old you, the remnants of the old you. How many of you sometimes you see the remnant old you when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? Revival happening right over there. It's amazing. Revival, right over there. Hands lifted all, all over. I see them. I see that. Revival. When somebody cuts you off, it tells you where you are in Christ. Some of you are like, start the altar call right now. I'm coming. I'm running down. The, I'm running to the Lord. That's the, no, no, no. Let me, let me make this very clear. That does not determine where you are in Christ. Because some of you are like, I'm leaving this church. I'm never coming back. Because I know what I said on the way to church. <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't tell you where you are in Christ, but it sure does tell you what's floating around in there. <laughs> okay, some of you are like, whew, I'll take that one, Pastor Tony. I'll take that one as a word right there. Why? Because we can't serve the God and the world. Every time you make an excuse, you're giving yourself ammunition to stay the same. And thereby, thereby nullifying your breakthrough. Did you hear me? 
I need you to make this, sink this, drive this home right now. Every time you make an excuse for yourself, every time you make an excuse that this is why I do this and this is why I do that, all you're doing is you're giving yourself ammunition to stay the very same you are. Instead, say, God, work that out of me. Expose it before it exposes you. Deal with it before it deals with you. This is from the youngest to the oldest in this room. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the Lord. I need everyone look at me. It doesn't matter how long you've been loving Jesus. If you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. Yes? So I want to I share this thought with you because Joshua said this as an old man. Fear God and serve him faithfully. Throw away your idols, the idols of your ancestors. Choose God. Serve God. He brought you here. You cannot serve both. Matthew tells us no one can serve two masters. You see, everyone wants the kingdom of God, but not everybody wants God. Everyone wants the kingdom he gives us, but not everybody wants him. I, wa I want to share a story with you for a moment. And I'm going to allow our media team to help me out just quietly, something ambient there. I need you to hear me and hear me closely. There's a wonderful book that was written by an author, Arthur Wilbert Reese. He put down what many in today's culture are dealing with. And the writing was called $3 worth of God. I need you to hear this right now, what was said in this book. Word for word, and I'm going to quote it. Are you ready? I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. But just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love or pick or have ecstasy or transformation. I want the warmth of the womb not a new birth. I want a, about a pound of eternity. I just would like $3 worth of God. Friend, I could not picture in my mind how much more perfect this thought is for my message today. I just want $3 worth of God. I remember I used to drive around with a buddy of mine and he'd always do this. We'd drive around and we'd be running low and his, his tank would go empty and we would stop at a, at, a, at a gas station and I'm not kidding you. He would put $3 of gas in his car. At a time. Like, we would drive around until it goes empty and then he'd put $3 worth of gas. True story. I had no problem chipping in at those times. Because it didn't require much of me. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'll chip in. I'll, I'll go halves with you. Because it didn't cost me much. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And the Christian faith, for a lot of people, that's the way they approach their faith. I just want $3 worth of God, just enough so God will recognize where I am. Not to change me, just to recognize where I am. 
all across this room, would you do me a favor and just bow your heads? Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would allow us to see that, Lord, you don't want $3 worth of us and nor do you want to give $3 worth of you. But instead, Jesus, you want from us full obedience and you want to open up the windows of heaven. So I pray today for every person the sound of my voice that they would not want $3 worth, but they would say, I want millions of dollars worth of God in my life. So God, I pray that they would want more so that you can give more. Father, unfortunately, there are many that you give them the desires of their heart because their desires are so small. It doesn't even stretch them. I pray instead, God, you would allow them to see the glory that you want to give them. Let them see the beauty the God you are. Lord, never let them settle with $3 worth, but instead that they would say, God, open up the windows of heaven that I may, that all blessing may be poured out so my life would also be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name I pray.